This podcast is presented by Rabbi Peretz Muchkin, speaking to the millennial generation. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Rabbi Peretz podcast. I am Peretz. Question, why are we called Jews? Why are we Jewish? Why is our religion called Judaism? Originally, we were the children of Israel. We were the children of Abraham. We are Israelites. We are Hebrews. We are Ivries. Where does the name Jewish come from? Or to be a Jew? If anything, we should just be OG monotheists, you know? Because after all, our whole entire experience of life is about this monotheistic divine energy that is brought into this world through Torah and mitzvot. And the Torah was revealed to us at Sinai as we left Egypt, leaving as slaves, becoming a free people. And that whole experience happened before anyone was called Jews or Jewish. So where does that name come from and how does it resonate with us today? And why is it important to know what it means? Is it just the name hoisted upon us? There's there's some inevitable connection to your modern life. So that's what I want to talk about today. I also want to take you back to this generation of Jewish people that left Egypt. When they left Egypt, the line of our sages is that no slave had ever left Egypt. I used to have these conversations in San Francisco with a couple of retired professors from UC Berkeley in history, and they would always make this point that in Egypt, everyone essentially was a slave. There was a hierarchy of Pharaoh going all the way down, and essentially anyone below Pharaoh was considered a slave. In addition, nobody really changed social class. What you were born in is the class that you would die in. So for the Jewish people at the time, being of the lowest status, of the lowest class, and being slaves meant that they were destined to stay within their class forever. And as Egypt being the superpower of the universe at the time, and the place where religion and culture and technology was at its furthest place in its day. So the Jewish people would be at the lowest status of that. And they were called Hebrews or others for that matter, but they remembered that they were also the children of Israel, the children of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So here you have this experience happening of the Jewish people being able to get out of that. As led by Moses, they get out of Egypt and our claim is that we have this incredible experience, millions of people all at once. The experience is, of course, leaving Egypt, slaves actually breaking away. Where did they go? To the desert. So they had to survive somehow. They had to develop themselves somehow. Well, first, the sea splits, as it says. They come to the sea and it splits. So another, I was once at a coffee shop in North Beach. This is like one of the first times I'm hanging out in North Beach. I lived there for 10 years. And I go into Cafe Trieste, and one guy to the right leans over and he says, Rabbi, be careful what you say here. The Russians are listening. All right. That was, that was cute. And then the other guy leans over and he says, Rabbi, the sea split. Big deal. It was a tidal wave. It happens there all the time. They prove it scientifically. And I said, great. I love that. Then the miracle isn't that the sea split. The miracle is the timing of it. What an incredible, great, what an incredibly great day to reach the sea and it split for them. Either way, they got out of Egypt, they get to Sinai, they're in the desert, and the claim is that they were taking care of mana from heaven, a traveling well, and most of all, complete revelation. 
all the three so three or so million Jewish people or children of Israel receive this incredible revelation of God and Sinai. What a moment. So the question begs out of the modern Jew, what was the first Jew who woke up and said, dude, that never happened. None of that happened. That's all that's all ridiculous. Sinai, revelation, traveling wellsprings, mana from heaven, splitting of the sea. I don't know what you're talking about. When was the first guy who woke up and said that never happened? The hypothesis is that actually that didn't happen for almost 500 years. And I, come on, man, for sure. Jewish people, as, they, as you say, for uh, every two Jews, three opinions. What do you mean 500 years? Well, actually, there was no real reason to doubt anything. After all, your parents are telling you and their parents told them, etc. So you're getting that. Your teachers are all in on it. They're all giving you the party line. And there was no real reason to say that that never happened because outside of being Jewish and monotheistic, outside cultures were pretty much pagan. And in pagan cultures, it wasn't so much about the beliefs. It was about the influence. Today's influencers, I guess, can understand that what does influence mean if not being able to monetize, being able to actually use the data to say what type of influence you have. So that kind of worked for pagan ideology that people would say it's based on influence. And when the Jewish people came back to a new culture and they came back to the land of Israel, to the land of their forefathers, and they were called the Israelites and the Hebrews, when they showed back up to the land, they faced off with a pagan culture that said, hey, your God is real. Your experiences are real. We totally think that that's awesome. However, there are other influences. There are other gods and there are other ways to find success. The most famous story and moment of this is the prophet Elijah, you know, the guy who visits every Passover Seder, that dude, he is upset at the Jewish people, and he doesn't yell out, why are you guys non-believers? Why are you guys atheists? He yells out, why are you so ambivalent? Ambivalence is the big challenge of Elijah the prophet, because in his mind, he knows that there's little doubt in the people that their experiences are real and that God it's real. It's just that they're trying to hedge their bets and receive fame and fortune from any God that manifests itself. So this experience of, of belief was somewhat unchallenged for these 500 or so years. The Jewish people go from leaving Egypt to getting to the Holy Land to getting their own king in David and Solomon building the Holy Temple, manifesting all the beauty of the Torah that they got in the desert, building Jewish culture and life to its epicenter, to having, to having incredible prophets, to bad kings. They have a full, incredible history and rich culture. But all of a sudden, something happens that totally stops the Jewish trek in their tracks. The Jewish people, the children of Israel are now facing something that they have not faced in over 500 years. And that is that the Jewish temple built for God is destroyed by the Babylonians. And when this happens, for the first time, they're asking themselves, wait, is this all real? Is it possible that God's house can be destroyed? By a foreign God? Maybe it's not real. So this question of whether or not this experience is real and questioning whether or not what your parents and your teachers told you are real happened in this cataclysmic moment when the temple is destroyed. So the ninth of Av comes, the temple is destroyed, the people, the children of Israel are now exiled into Babylonia. 
And actually, the Babylonians, for the first part of it, are actually not that bad. The Jewish people are able to integrate. Mordechai, their leader, becomes part of the parliament and sits at the palace gates and is able to fraternize with other politicians and other culturals, cultural systems. Mordechai's relative, Esther, is even chosen as queen. True, in the story of the holiday of Purim, she doesn't reveal her origin and who she is, that she is one of the children of Israel. But when it comes time, she's able to entirely bring it out and able to help the Jewish people. And the time was, was that the highest minister of the land, the second in command, is Haman. And Haman has this plot to kill all of the children of Israel. And in the book of Esther and in the story of Purim, it's an incredible, incredible experience to face off with the first massive Hitler of the enemy of the Jewish people looking for complete and utter annihilation. And it's in that moment the temple's destroyed and Haman says, I'm going to destroy this nation who's different than us and is causing chisms in society, supposedly. It is then where the Jewish people get the name Jewish. You look in the story of Esther and it's the first time you see openly everybody being called Yehudim. You see, the name Jewish comes from the word Yehuda, and Yehuda is the fourth son of Jacob, or Israel, and his wife Leah, and the fourth son's name is Yehuda, and now we're called by this name Yehuda. Why are we called Yehudim? Well, Mordechai, who's from the tribe of Benjamin, he's called Yehuda. Esther, she's called Yehuda. The Jewish people called Yehudim in plural. This is the name of Jews. This is where it became so you can easily see that this name Jew came at a time where we were facing probably our greatest challenge yet. The greatest challenge of is everything we know and everything that we seem to believe in, is it true? In order to understand all this, the name Jew, the name Yehuda, requires a closer look. And if you take a look at the name Yehuda and what it means, you're going to find the answer. The name Yehuda, given, like we said, to the fourth son of Jacob and Leah, is derived from Leah saying, I have gratitude that I'm able to be selfless. In other words, she felt truly having a fourth son was connected to her being a selfless mom, and she had great gratitude from the idea of being selfless. The son itself, Yehuda, doesn't quite earn his name for quite some time, until he faces off in the enigmatic story of him and his brother as he sold Joseph down to Egypt and gets to meet him years later, it's only then where he becomes selfless where he earns his name and his reward of being a leadership quality person, the selflessness that it takes to bring a leader. So how does this all fit in with Purim? See, the Purim story is actually quite enigmatic as well. From the inside, it seems like a clear, stu a clear study of Jewish history. Somebody didn't like us, they contrived a plot to annihilate us, we overcame that, let's eat. But in reality, the story played out over several years. And during that time, you know, there was no history of utter annihilation of the Jewish people, man, woman, and child, genocide in this form. So for from Haman's perspective, if some Jew would have stand up and said, hey man, I ain't part of these people, I'm whatever you want me to be, they actually would have been accepted. It wasn't at a time like in World War II where even to a certain degree was even harsher than the Purim story because no matter what you said, 
you were taken, you were taken in. But if you go back several genocides ago in Jewish history, each time has its own ironclad details. For example, in 1492, when the Jewish people are kicked out of Spain, anyone who'd like to convert and become Christian was able to stay and was able to keep their fortunes. So you see that when you go back to the Purim story, that opportunity was there for the Jewish people to opt out. And yet something incredible happened. Each and every Jew, every single solitary one decided to opt in. They decided to say, you know what? This is who I am and I'm willing to go down this way. That's when they really got the name Jew because the core name of Yehuda and Jew is to be selfless. And it's when you have this selflessness that new things begin to emerge. And what emerged was, was that when we left Egypt and we became free, the whole experience, even though it was 500 plus years, that whole experience was something that was sort of put on us. After all, we were taken out of Egypt. We were given a book called the Torah. We were given prophets. We accepted our plots of land. But did we ever truly, actually by free choice and exercise our free choice and accept this journey of being Jewish as one that is a mission for us individually to take? That didn't happen till the Purim story. And when was it accepted? When it was almost over. When there was a lens to say that this experience was coming to an end. And yet every Jew, did. we don't have recorded one person who said, I'm out. In fact, the whole story of Esther is everybody taking extreme pride in the leadership that they had and in the integration that they had and the ability to opt out and instead using the free choice to opt in. This is the beauty of the story of Purim coming up in one more month. And this is the beauty of the time we're in, that the joy emerging in our calendar historically comes from a new element of life. And that was to be called instead of the children of Israel or by our religion as monotheists to be called Jews from the name Judah, from the name Yehuda. And that name represented our selflessness, our ability to be leaders and our ability to remove parts of ourselves and to allow our soul to shine forth. And as this joyful soul and this experience that shined forth that didn't just create the opportunity for us to overcome this incredible decree against us to annihilate us, but created the most incredibly joyous holiday of all time, Purim. Purim is the day where joy is unbelievably unbridled because the joy represents a comfort level with self that I accepted as my identity. And it's the accepting of my journey and the acceptance of my mission and the acceptance of my soul and body having to merge together that true joy is able to flow and true joy is able to be nourishing of that self. So happy selflessness when somebody says you Jew and they mean it in a negative way, I feel like I'm being called out in the most beautiful way. It's my selfless identity, my constant capacity to be a giver and to be an innovator. And when somebody says I love the Jewish people, even more so I'm excited because I know there's joy in this identity that I have that nourishes my selflessness and not my consumption and what makes me feel good, but what I contribute and what makes me really happy. Thanks for tuning in. We're going to talk more about joy in the coming weeks. We're going to talk more about the holiday of Perm in the coming weeks. And I hope you have an incredible rest of your day.
Ali, 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 Ali,